Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. I welcome you if you've just downloaded this uh, podcast. Thank you for doing that. I want to just uh, uh, continue from the last podcast or from last week, however it applies to you. Last Sunday was a a time where we announced something very special, which was that um, for a whole variety of reasons, and I don't want to repeat it all, so you can please just download it and hear it from the website. We have a, a file up there called Vision Update where we spoke about the, the, the upper room project and we've been talking about putting in a floor and for a variety of wonderful reasons, if you weren't here last week, let me just tell you now, the floor is, project has just got a whole lot bigger and uh, instead of the floor just being in the back section, we're going to bring it all the way through this entire venue. And uh, so just to recap very briefly, there'll be a an elevator or a lift at the back here, taking people up and down. That's people who can't walk up the stairs, by the way, not you having fun. Woohoo! Uh, uh, you can go up the stairs, which will be somewhere over there. And there'll be a, a toilet over here for uh, disabled people. And we're going to rebuild the toilets out the front, as you know. So the whole church will go upstairs. By the grace of God, it'll go upstairs. And, uh, and downstairs, that just releases all this room then. Uh, for all sorts of community uh, initiatives and just really to fulfill the things we're doing now. And um, so there'll be, and the whole thing will just be so much better. And so I just uh, commend to you the vision update uh, r- recording. takes about, I think it's less than 20 minutes. And that'll just fill you in on what was shared last week. Also last week I began a series called God's blueprints, which I want to continue today and also next week, because I think we're smart enough to know that if you're going to increase the size of a church or increase the effectiveness of a church, you need to do more than just make the building bigger, much more. You need to make the people bigger. Um, We were just hearing from our guide yesterday at the, at the museum. And he said that one of the things that the early church didn't have, of course, unlike the, the Greek and uh, the, the Greek worshippers, was they didn't have buildings, they didn't have temples. All they had was themselves. They were the living stones. They themselves were the temple. And that's what Peter says, isn't it, in his uh, epistle. We are Living stones. Well, we are living stones. And uh, we can, of course, do, and we will, by the grace of God, we will transform this building into something much better. But we all need to be transformed into something much better for it to work. Because we're the real building, aren't we? Can you say amen? We're the real building. We're the real stones. We're the real church. We're the real church. And so I want to just, uh, and last week, what do we do here? We, uh, I'll go back a bit. We were just talking about the, uh, what does the Bible say about the church? This is just from last, last time. And uh, we looked at three areas, that it was God's church. It's not our church. 
It's not my church. It's not your church. It's God's church. And uh, he's going to build it. Number two, that a church, and please, again, just please just download this and hear this in full. We must connect with and affect our world. That's what the church is supposed to do. Connect with and affect our world. So we talked about different ways in which we could connect with our world for the purposes of affecting it rather than joining it. And thirdly, which is something that we'll come on to maybe more next week, that the purpose of its leaders was not to do everything, but to equip others to do things. And uh, there's a real danger that churches can just become really like a circus where a whole lot of people just come and watch a whole lot of other people in the middle running around. And it's just not supposed to be like that at all. Not in a Bible uh, uh, view. Today, I just want to continue along these lines. And uh, as a kind of a compliment to last time, and I'm aware that our, the time is, uh, is fairly short today, just to talk about what then should be the values of a church, looking at the way God sees it. And this will be especially helpful for you if you are new to this particular church. Because these are values of a church, but they particularly are values of this church that you are sitting in right now, that you are part of right now. As we move forward, the leaders of this church are going to ask you for more, more of you. And uh, as we move forward, it's good then for you to know, absolutely to be clear, what the values and the, the ethos of this church is. Because you may know that there are 50 great churches in Cambridge and more than that around. Cambridge is a place blessed by many, many great churches. But all of them are a little bit different, aren't they? All are a little bit different. So if you were to be asked a question, well, what's your church like? You can't just say, well, the music is like this or the building is like this. There are some, there are some core values, aren't there, which I believe are biblical values. And so if you are new or if you could do with a little reminder, here are the essential scriptural components of a church, but particularly thinking about this church. Number one, a spirit-filled church. I was very careful not to put a Pentecostal church there because that suggests a denomination or a particular kind of movement, a particular kind of style even perhaps. But all churches should be spirit-filled churches if they are to fulfill the biblical mandate. All churches should be spirit-filled churches. They may not necessarily belong to a charismatic or Pentecostal denomination or stream, but all churches should be churches where the Spirit is in charge and where the Spirit is filling the people. We know exactly what a non-Spirit-filled church looks like when we look at the disciples hidden behind a door before the day of Pentecost came in fear of preaching, in fear of doing things because of what people might say. No, 
When the Spirit came, they were transformed. So I want you to know today, I'm sure you do know this, but just so it's spelt out, this church is a Spirit-filled church. And we seek to be more Spirit-filled than even we are now. Because the Scripture says that we should be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So, you know, putting it very, very plainly, if you like your church short, if you like your church like a bit of a drive-through, let's get in and let's get out of here as fast as we can. I'll put my credit card in the slot and we'll just drive through it and have a muck Jesus. This ain't, this place is not for you. It's not for you. If you like a church where there is, uh, Huge amounts, huge amounts of predictability. That there is an absolute sandwich. We're going to stand, we're going to sit. Someone's going to read a poem. Someone's going to give a homily. We're going to stand, we're going to sit. That kind of church. And by the way, God does bless those forms of churches. But this one just isn't one of those. This is a church that believes in the moving and the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we're not in revival, we all know that. But we are reaching forth to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of us. And that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of us is a church of power and authority. Power to minister uh, prophecies and healings, setting people free of demons where they really do have demons. Uh, uh, ministering the Word of God, ministering in the flow of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes funny things will happen here that the Holy Spirit is doing. Sometimes we will stop the flow of our services and say, well, time is running away, but we need to go with the flow of this. This is the kind of church this is. And as is hopefully common with many churches like that, It doesn't mean that the Word of God is neglected. In fact, we take great uh, importance, place great importance on the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. And anyone who has, uh, if I can use the phrase, sat at my feet on a Thursday night and heard me teach the New Testament will know that I do a bit more than just speak in tongues. I do know the Scriptures and we want to gather and grow in our knowledge of the Scriptures, rightly dividing the word of truth. No word, no power. No word of God in a church, no future for that church. There has to be the word of the Lord. Worship and word and wonders, that's the kind of church that this church aspires to be. Number two, a fellowship church. I think this is a biblical thing, and I hope we're beginning to see it happen here, that we do life and faith together. One of the uh, factors about this particular church, which is not uncommon among city churches, but it's, uh, some perhaps cope with it better than others, is that we are really a gathered church. You ever been to one of these churches where, um, and I used to belong to one, where Lots of the people in the church lived next door. They lived on the same street. It was amazing. <laughs> By the way, those people would still be late. I don't know how that happened. But they lived next door. 
And they took over, they started, but they, they loved the church so much that they bought the flats that were nearby. It's amazing, isn't it? It's not something maybe even I would do. But they came and lived nearby. And some churches are in smaller towns and villages. Everyone sort of knows each other. We're a bit more of a gathered church. Many of us don't even speak in, in our mother tongue the very same language. We're from different, you know, places on earth. We have different nationalities, different cultures, um, more to the point. And yet God has somehow gathered us together. So, how does this affect our church life? It affects it like this. We believe in having parties. We believe in getting us together from, from you know, as much as we can and just having fun. So that we who live, some live over here, some live over here, some live over here, can have that sense of belonging, have that sense of family. It's amazing that coffee and cakes can do what sermons cannot do. They can blend people together in just amazing, amazing ways. You could preach for week in, week out. But one international night where two people dance together and suddenly they're friends for life. Hopefully not too friendly. So we want to be a fellowship church. We're not there, but this is where we want to go. That it's actually nice to be here. Not one of those churches, and they do exist by the way, where people come but they don't like each other. They don't like each other. Well, we don't want to be like that. We want to be a church where people like each other. Where there isn't conflict, where people aren't moaning and groaning and fighting with each other and gossiping. If you're in that category, you are not a solution. You are a problem. So you need to stop that. As we grow together and do life and faith together. Number three, we want to be a community church. Now, the phrase community church is sort of in vogue. It's very popular. Has been for, not recently, for about... 15 to 20 years. Very popular thing to say that a place is a community church. Let me tell you what I think a community church is. A community church is a church that the community would miss if it was gone. That's what a community church is. And by the way, many of the community churches in our country are exactly that. They would be greatly missed if they were gone. Sometimes We need to ask this very challenging question. If this church closed down tomorrow, other than the people sitting here today and a few others who come sometimes, who would miss it? And as you get a growing list of people who would miss you if you weren't there, you're beginning to penetrate into this area, beginning to have some sort of uh, measurable success. Many of you do not know all the people who come to this church because they don't all come here on a Sunday. Some of them are going to come here tomorrow. Some of them are ever so young. They crawl around and squeak and all that here on a Monday morning for for our toddlers. Some of them live nearby. They're part of what we call our Monday church. We devise this this idea, a few years ago, I think I stole it from someone in Australia, but that's, that's a common thing. 
this idea of having, calling it Sunday, Monday church. That we should, of course, have a Sunday church. But we should try to develop what we would call a Monday church, which is, and that could happen Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, you know. But that church would exist outside of Sunday. And that church would comprise, initially, of people who would have no interest in being part of what we did on a Sunday. None at all. On Wednesday, we have a fabulous morning. Every Wednesday morning, as guys come here, sit in that back room, fight over the biscuits. I mean, really, we ought to film some of this. Guys who uh, come in and they love being here. They all have mental health struggles, huge history of mental health, and some more serious than, than, than others. If this church closed, they would miss us. They love coming here. And we love them coming here too. We need to be a community church. Some of the people that CAP money has helped, of course CAP prior to that, when we were running it in a full-time capacity, but some of the people that CAP money has helped, just you don't know their names, but they're part of our Monday church. They're part of our community. And as we all know, without coining this phrase again and again and again, sometimes you have to show people how much you care about them before they care about how much you know about things. Sometimes people have to belong before they believe. And certainly they have to uh, belong before they believe, before they behave, before they change and uh, become fully converted to Jesus. So we're a spirit-filled church. That's not ever going to change by the grace of God. A fellowship church. We want to have friends here. We want this church to be a place where we love to meet. That's why we do the talent shows and the international nights and different parties that we do. I call them parties. You know, I just mean when we, when we get together and eat and drink and have no other agenda other than just to have fun. And a community church. Finally, we want to be a mission church. Go, uh, going and giving. Here and there. We want to be a mission church. If there's no mission, then there's no reason for the church to exist. We exist as a mission. We are a mission. It's not something we would call the place because it kind of has a, maybe an old-fashioned ring to it. Uh, some would say. But essentially, we are a mission. We are on a mission. Our mission is to share the good news of Jesus Christ here in this street with those that we connect with, with those that we have not yet connected with, and with those further afield, even across the waters. And we've had enough demonstration and application of that this morning. That we want to be a place that, that, that gives to mission, but we also want to be a mission-going church. One of the things I would love to see happen in the future, and I'm always in conversations with, with, with different ones about this, it's just this idea that because now the world has got so much smaller, because you can get in an airplane, go somewhere and come back, just like Jane is doing and others, of course, can do, that we'd start to think about missionaries as not necessarily being those who put on a strange hat 
a rather long coat, kiss their wife goodbye and get on a boat, well, preferably take their wife with them, probably, and go and never return. But actually, the whole field of missions work has changed, hasn't it? Because now people can go, have a few weeks somewhere, a few days somewhere, and they can return now because the, the life has changed. Technology has changed. Uh, sometimes it's cheaper to do that now than it was you know, a few years ago. So we want to be a mission church that wants to share the good news about Jesus. We're going to start doing this in August up the road. Taking church right out of here and putting it in what I believe is a super cool uh, venue to share our faith. Missions going, missions giving, missions here, missions there. And from these, a few years ago, probably two and a half years ago, we formulated sort of four statements that sum up where we want to go and who we want to be. One of the things about a mission statement or a vision statement is that it is always there to actually let you know that you have not quite arrived at it. So as I review these, some of these we do to some degree of success, but there's room for improvement in all of them for all of us. So let's not, I don't want to be disheartened by these, but we should be inspired by them. A vision is something that is beyond. It's something you see today that is in the future a little bit. It's also there to inspire us. So here are our four statements. This is what you, if you journey with us in these next few months and all the changes that will that will happen, these are the things that we're holding to. This is why we want to do the things we want to do. So that we can fulfill... These four directives, and all of them, of course, drawn from the Bible. Number one, to seek the lost. To seek the lost. Matthew 16, 15, of course, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We are here. As someone once said, the church is the only organization in the world that exists for non-members. Every other organization in the world exists purely for its own members. Every other one. But the church exists for non-members. And we need to catch this. That the church, even with all the things we want to do, and I want this place to look beautiful, and I want you to be comfortable. And I want this to be a, as best as we can. To have the very best facility of all. And I want you to be blessed by it. But more than you, I want other people to come and be blessed by it too. That we might have that understanding that the time is absolutely short. That we are not in a time of peace, but we are in a time of war. Jesus said the night is coming when no one can work. We don't have forever to go out to share our faith, to see people one for Christ. Now let me assure you of this. We cannot win the lost. 
We cannot have that even as an aspiration that we're going to win the lost because only the Holy Ghost can win the lost. But what's our job? Our job is to seek the lost. To seek the lost. And unless that is intentional in our lives, we won't do it. Unless we have that intentional in our life. You know, we, we set a standard, this is what I must do. We will not achieve it. It won't happen by accident. Uh, earlier this week, we were talking about doing a mission with some other folks. And, and they said, well, we want to hold this uh, event. And we hope that people will chat and talk about their faith. I said, it's not good enough. Because if you just hope that people will chat and talk about their faith, they may not. No, we need to have that as an intentional part of our time together. I wonder if you have ever been lost. Driving around in a car. And you're driving and suddenly you don't know where you're going. Now, of course, with the advent of the sat-nav, this is becoming less and less, or possibly more and more. More and more. After 200 yards, turn right into this brick wall. I wonder if you've ever been lost. One time I uh, was speaking in a church over near Norwich. And I was supposed to go to the, to the Assemblies of God, Pentecostal Church in Norwich. And I had my, uh, not a sat-nav then, it was the next day I bought one. But at the time I just had bits of paper. You ever had this? These bits of paper in your hand. I'm sure it must be illegal to do this. You know, looking at it like this. <laughs> and I ended up at the Salvation Army uh, Citadel where they were holding a ladies meeting and I was supposed to be going to do a men's dinner at the AOG something gone horribly wrong if you've ever been lost there's something you might try doing as you're looking you're looking at people walking along the road and something's happening in your brain that is absolutely amazing forget the iPad your brain is amazing. As you're looking, you've just got one second to look in their face. And in that one second, you decide, do they know the way or not? You drive along and suddenly you see a girl, you know, jogging. Immediately, does she know where the sports center is? Yes. You see a large overweight guy. Strolling along with his... Does he know where the gym is? No. <laughs> you drive along, you see another guy. He's got very, very green hair, all brought into a spike. His face is full of metal. And you think, does he know where Barnsley Baptist Church is? I don't think so. You do that in your mind. You work out. Do they know the way? Do they know the way? Eventually... You find someone, you see them, you pull over, you wind down the window. Excuse me, do you know where the post office is? And you know they are the one who knows. You have worked them out completely. 
They know where the post office is. And you say, excuse me, can you tell me the way to the post office? They say, oh dear, I don't know. I don't know. We do it all the time. He knows the way. She doesn't know the way. Jane will say, ask that man over there. I say, no, I'm not asking him. He doesn't know the way. Now, catch this. That's exactly what the lost are doing when they look at us. That's exactly what they're doing when they look at us. They haven't spoken to us much. They don't know us all that well, but they make a judgment about our lives. Do we look like we know the way? Well, we need to look like we know the way. We actually need to do more than just know the way. We need to look like we know the way. So that people ask us. And the lost, they deserve a church that is skillfully seeking them. If I was lost on a desert island, I would want to believe that there was such a thing as technology that could know where I was. I would think that I deserved to be skillfully sought. Not have a group of people from the lifeboat get a map of the world, close their eyes and put a pin in it and go, let's look there. I'd want someone to skillfully look for me. So we need to get skilled at that. The Son of Man, Luke 19 verse 10 says, has come to seek and to save that which is lost. If you want to be a part of something that wants to seek the lost, you're in the right place. If you want to be a part of something where the lost might even arrive and look a bit different to you, take your parking slot and sit where you normally sit, and you don't mind that, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. Directive from God, number one, seek the lost. Number two, we want to love Christ. I don't need to develop this too much, but we want to be a church that's on fire for Jesus, that loves him. The Bible says we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. That's what the Bible says. That we're to love him. It's not enough to be religious. It's not enough to know a bit about the Bible. We are supposed to be a romantic church. Can you say amen? You said amen there, but you didn't even hear what I said. We're supposed to be a romantic church. Where our passion for Jesus is, is at the top of the chart in love with him. Now, people love God in different ways. Some people express their love for God in different ways. And I want to say that I think that's probably a good thing. We're not all supposed to be exactly the same. But don't be upset if people get passionate about Jesus in here. Don't be upset if people go a bit too far with their devotion. Because it's a whole lot better than not going anywhere at all. 
We want to be a people who love Christ. Our worship is going to reflect that. We want to love him. And keep the first commandment, to love him with all of our soul, our mind, our strength. In Philippians 1, verse 21, Paul says this, For me to live is Christ. Number three, make disciples. Make disciples. This might be worth turning to. Go to 2 Timothy 3. Let me show you this. 2 Timothy 3. I'll be done in a few minutes here. Everyone knows John 3.16. Here's 2 Timothy 3.16. And you might know this verse quite well. All scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the man or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I found that most Christians know that all scripture is God-breathed. But not everyone knows what it says after that which is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, none of us like any of that, and training in righteousness. Becoming a Christian is not enough, it seems. When we become a Christian, we arrive at entry level. But the job then is to be trained in righteousness, able to handle the word of truth. Some people have a call from God to be Bible teachers. If you have a call from God to be a Bible teacher, then you're the kind of person who might need to know a bit of the the Greek and the Hebrew and the dates and all of that. And I'm in that, I'm in that category. Yesterday at the British Museum, we kept being shown bits of Greek and I was like reaching forward to see if I could read it. Oh, I can, I can read a word. But not everyone is supposed to have that kind of knowledge. So we're not talking about training one another so we can do well in Bible trivia quizzes. That's not what we're talking about. One time a pastor's wife, who's about 80, said to me, who was the cousin of Ubad Malusa? I said, who? She said, Ubad Malusa. He's in the book of 2 Samuel. Who was his cousin? I said, I don't know. I didn't like to say I'd never heard of Ubad Zalusa. She said, don't you know? I said, I don't. She said, Haven't you been to Bible college? (laughs) Well, I I let the Bible college down. No, I'd never heard of Ubad Kaluza or his cousin. But I guess the lady went and found out by herself. Our job is not to pass Bible trivia quizzes. But we all got to know the word. You got to know the word for you. And your family. So when your enemy arrives, you know what to say to him. 
And you've got to know the word so you can instruct others. But making disciples is not just about academic knowledge. Making disciples is about rubbing with each other iron sharpening iron. So it's not just our knowledge that increases, but as the word here says, to be trained in righteousness. Don't get upset when someone says to you, you shouldn't say that. Don't get upset when someone challenges you and says, do you know what? That kind of response or attitude is not a Jesus response. Don't get all mad with that. You want to be happy that there are some people in your life who care enough about you and love Jesus enough to say that kind of thing. Because it's much easier to just let it slide. Oh, I'm not suggesting we become a church judging one another and rebuking one another. But we want to be disciples. It's all part of the process. And finally, just finishing. We want to help the poor. In the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says this. He says, I want you to remember the poor. He says, my only concern, he says, was that you remembered the poor. But he says, that was, of course, the very thing that you were eager to do. So he was encouraging them to help the poor. But in fact, that's what they were doing. Here's a reading from Isaiah. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him, not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. I know my time has gone, so I'll conclude quickly with this. That as we move forward, we want to continue to do this. Now, as I said right at the beginning, helping the poor is such a vast, vast topic. And so you have to kind of listen to God and home in on what you think God might be giving you particularly to do. And over the last few years, what a blessing it's been to have been able to send thousands of pounds all around the place, helping, nourishing and replenishing. Tomorrow, we buy our first piece of land in another nation to look after widows. We have done that. To God be the glory, but we have done that. And you have done that. We want to carry on doing things like that. Now, don't come to me at the end. I've got another project. No, we're still doing this one right now. There's always another project. We want to continue to look after people who are in, in debt. You might like to know that even though the CAP Center running, you know, two, three days a week has closed down, we're still in contact with many, many of those clients and still helping them today. Even this week, we're doing that. 
We still want to run Cap Money where we help people who have found their finances to be in a total mess. And we want to continue to help the poor in spirit. Maybe none more typified than the gentlemen who come here every Wednesday. And we just love them and feed them biscuits and coffee and, and build wonderful connections with them. So this is the kind of church that we are. And this is the kind of church that we want to be. We're somewhere down this track, but we want to go a bit more. And when we get there, we want to go a little bit more again. That at King's Church, here is our vision. To seek the lost. The church not being a pleasure cruiser, but a rescue vessel. To love Christ, demonstrated in all the things we do. Not least in our extravagant worship and dedication to prayer and for his presence. To make disciples, to take seriously the training of the scriptures. Very seriously. And finally, to always remember Paul's instruction to the Galatian churches and to any churches. Do not forget the poor. And so we build links with others who are doing those very things. To God be the glory. This is where we're going. I'll finish with how I started. We could transform this, and by God's grace we will. But if we don't do these things, then we may as well just not do it. Because these are the things that should be at the heart of all the living stones that build the temple. That we might connect with and affect the people of our great city. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.